A reading from Matthew. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. Hi, everybody. It was 23 years ago this week that I was welcomed to Emmanuel as your new pastor. My family and I had moved into the parsonage the last week of June in 1997, and my first Sunday leading worship here was July 6th. What I remember most about that morning that is that I was welcomed by a fife and drum group that were playing their instruments on the front steps of the church even before I got into the building. A fully costumed group of patriotic musicians invited by choir member Connie Mansevice, who was playing with them. To me and to my family, it clearly said, we're glad you're here. We're looking forward to getting to know you. But also that special way of welcoming me also said, we want you to know us too, for who we are, what we're like, what makes us tick, and what we have to offer. The act of welcome, you see, is always a two-way street. It's a communal community experience. And learning how to be welcomed is every bit as important as it is to be welcoming. For example, if I welcomed you into my home and then spent our entire visit talking about me, showing you things I've done or things I've made, and I never showed even the slightest curiosity about you and your life or your opinions or your hopes and dreams, I might think that I was being welcoming, but you probably wouldn't feel very welcomed, would you? A real welcome is so much more than an invitation or even a warm greeting at the door or helping people get to know you better. A real welcome is an engagement between people who want to know one another, a mutual invitation into a new relationship, a shared openness to know and be known, to speak and to listen deeply, something that doesn't just welcome you into my world but that also welcomes me into yours. That kind of deepest welcome cannot just be offered or extended by one person or one group. It also has to be received by them at the same time. Now this morning's brief three-verse gospel reading in which the word welcome appears no fewer than six times comes at the end of Matthew's 10th chapter a long and sometimes rambling discourse by Jesus to his disciples about the joys and challenges of being his messengers, his apostles, his witnesses, his embodied presence in the world. If you've been with us the last few weeks, both my sermon two weeks ago and Bishop Hazelwood's sermon last week reflected on parts of that instruction to Jesus' disciples. And while it would be very easy to listen today to Jesus' words at the end of that chapter as a simple call to just be more welcoming as people and as a church, and to do more of the stuff that we've been trying to do so hard before at least we couldn't gather anymore, things like wearing name tags, 
stationing greeters at the doors, installing clear signage to help people find restrooms and other, other ways around the building, stopping to introduce ourselves to visitors before we clump up with our old and familiar friends. All of those kind of things that we do to be welcoming. These words of Jesus are actually calling us to something much bigger, something much deeper, and admittedly something much more difficult. Namely, to match that practice of welcoming people and helping them get to know us with a willingness to be welcomed into other people's lives and world in return. Because looked, up as, looked at as the wrap-up message to the rest of this chapter, it's easy to see that Jesus is not telling his disciples that they need to be more welcoming toward other people. He is, after all, in the process of sending them out into the neighboring towns and villages where they're going to be the guests. They will be the newcomers. And he's already called them to travel lightly as they go, to take minimal provisions with them, to rely on the welcome hospitality of others. In other words, he is setting them up and asking them to get really good at being welcomed by others. And why? Because welcoming those disciples is going to be the way that people welcome Jesus. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, whoever you welcome into your community is welcomed by me. No, he says the opposite. Whoever welcomes you into their community welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes also the one who sent me. So let's start with that good news. The amazing good news that makes it so important to get this whole business of welcoming right. Jesus tells us that when we are welcomed, when we go out as church with the message that the reign of God has come near and with the behavior that shows the shape and bears the mark of that holy nearness, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, and not being afraid of getting into trouble for doing so, and when we open ourselves to be welcomed by those we meet, then in that welcome, people not only receive us, but they receive Jesus. And when they receive Jesus, they receive the living God. The good news is that we are blessed to be able to bring the light and life of God in the risen Jesus to our neighbors, to our community, and to the world. To let other people know that God is real and at work in their midst, to break the powers of evil and make this whole world new. When people welcome us and that good news that we bring, they welcome Jesus and the God who sent them. And better yet, in that same exchange of welcome, we get to experience that good news even more fully ourselves, together with others. And we are transformed by it every bit as much as those who have welcomed us. Which means that while we continue to figure out how we can be more welcoming as a congregation, which is, of course, important to do, we also need to work on learning how to go out and be welcomed by others. Something equally important, but many, many times harder to do. To be the outsider, for example, walking into a strange new place. The ones who do not know how things are done or how to behave not as the one bringing help or knowing what others need, but a true stranger, 
the way that Jesus went around himself, a visitor coming empty-handed and open-hearted as someone needing other people to welcome him. It is truly much easier to be welcoming, to show how caring we are, to share from our abundant resources, to suggest and offer fixes and solutions for other people that make sense to us. But it is much harder, many times harder, to go only intending to listen and to learn, to be open to having our minds and our assumptions and then even our behaviors changed by those whose life and experiences are unlike our own and who may or may not choose to welcome us because of it. Again, Jesus says, whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. And if that is so, then putting ourselves in situations where we need to be welcomed is at least as important as being the welcoming ones ourselves. Now, today, that promise of Jesus and that challenge to his followers is paired with a reading from the book of the prophet Jeremiah. The setting for that reading is the Jerusalem temple. The date is 594 BC. The mighty Babylonians have already conquered Palestine. King Zedekiah has been sent into exile along with most of the influential leaders of Israel for some four years now. God's temple has been stripped of its precious and holy furnishings, all of them looted and carried off by the Babylonian conquerors. And in front of the remnant of God's people who are still there stands two preachers, two who claim to be prophets of the Lord, Jeremiah and Hananiah, each one proclaiming as God's holy word messages, messages that could not have been more diametrically opposed. Hananiah goes first. Thus says the Lord, he says, things aren't as bad as they seem, folks. Deliverance is coming. Before you know it, like a miracle, the Babylonians will completely crumble and disappear. The exiles will soon be coming home. The temple treasures will be restored. Life will soon go back to the way it was. Trust in the Lord. But then it's Jeremiah's turn, and he is considerably more pessimistic. Brace yourselves, he says. The exile, it's going to be long. You haven't even seen the worst of it yet. And if you're smart, you'll learn to speak Babylonian and get prepared to survive in a foreign land because that's what's ahead. And even when this exile ends, life can't go back to how it was because how it was is in no small part responsible for how it is now. The injustices that Amos warned you about, still are there, still haven't ended. The neglect of the poor, failure to love God and neighbor that Micah and Isaiah and other prophets warned you about decades ago, still must be transformed into a more just world and a humble and merciful walk with God. I pray as much as you do, says Jeremiah, that Hananiah would be right. Amen. May the Lord fulfill the words he has prophesied. But take a look at what history teaches us. The true prophets are seldom the popular ones. The true prophets aren't often welcomed. Most often, they're abused or worse. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, Jeremiah says, 
when the word of that prophet comes true, then it will be known that that prophet has truly been sent by God. To put that another way, Hananiah's message was far more warmly welcomed in his own day than Jeremiah's was. But today, our Bibles have a book of Jeremiah in them and no book of Hananiah because what Jeremiah said is what happened, what was true, and what Hananiah predicted was not. Jesus said, whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. And if it's true that a real welcome is two-sided, an engagement between people who want to know and understand one another, a mutual invitation into a new relationship, a shared openness to know and to be known, to speak and to listen deeply, something that doesn't just welcome you into my world, but that welcomes me into yours, then maybe we need to ask who are the prophets among us today? In all the conversations and protests that we're hearing about race and privilege and justice, which are the voices that unsettle us the most with that holy combination of challenging some of our deepest assumptions, along with still having some kind of nagging sense of truth to them. Who are the prophets? Who are the people who get hated for making us look at things we'd rather not see? Who are the people least eager for things to just go back to the way they were and who are instead calling for significant change in our world? And when those changes that they call for make us feel uncomfortable, like when an athlete takes a knee to protest police violence, who then are the false prophets who claim the authority to redefine that act as being all about disrespect for the military, for example, both rejecting an unwelcome idea and turning the protester himself into the problem instead of the evil that he's inviting us, welcoming us, to open our eyes and see. In a world that is currently so short of holy mutual welcome, the kind that brings the reign of God near, the kind that brings Jesus near, the kind of deepest welcome that cannot simply be offered or extended, but also has to be humbly received at the same time, it is worth asking who are the prophets who are calling us to that deeper kind of mutual welcome today? Here again, the good news. Jesus tells us that when we are welcomed, when we go out as church with the message that the reign of God has come near, and when we open ourselves to listen to and be welcomed by those we meet, it's then in that holy welcome that people not only receive us, but they receive Jesus. And when they receive Jesus, they receive the living God. As a much younger pastor, I was told that when I began a ministry in a congregation, I should prepare to be changed by that congregation every bit as much as I expected to change it, and that to truly live among and faithfully serve a community of faith was to not only welcome it into my way of being a leader, but to learn from them and with them how God was leading us together. After 23 years now in this place, I know that I am not the same pastor that I was when I came. 
and you're also not the same congregation that first called me. We have changed. We have done some joyful and some difficult holy and mutual welcoming of new ideas, new insights, new people, new assumptions, new understandings. Through the hard work of rethinking, listening, struggling, healing, and yes, casting out a few demons along the way. Because when people come together to welcome and be welcomed, they also welcome Jesus and the God who sent him. And in that exchange, everyone gets to experience the good news again and again. And everyone is transformed by it. And the reign of God is that much nearer than it was before. Amen.